2: And now your host, making the case for the city he loves, Attorney Arthur Idala. Six oh five
3: p.m., folks. It's Arthur Idala, the Power Hour on AM nine seventy, The Answer. And as I look up at one of the television screens here in the broadcasting studio in Lower Manhattan. Sadly, you see the motorcade carrying the body of police officer Mora from the medical examiner's office down on 30th Street on the east side of the city. And it's an amazing motorcade going all the way up to Inwood to the, uh, the funeral parlor. Uh, There was, you know, besides the typical motorcade, there was helicopters and actually uh, uh, ships, police boats in the water accompanying his body. I know they said that uh, he donated his heart, his pancreas, um, uh, I believe his kidneys. You know, God bless a very sad story. And we'll be covering it, obviously, for the rest of the week. I know you heard earlier about. The 11-month-old child who was shot in the face and still, you know, she got shot in the cheek. She's still in the hospital, but it seems like she's on the road to recovery. So we all pray for her. A lot of of prayers going out here in New York City and a lot of support going out from all of us to all of you. The, The mayor sent out a tweet saying, as heartbreaking as this is, you know, the city is there for all of you, all of the the, the family of, of officers Rivera and Mora, and, you know, the, the the city always will be there for you. And that's a, a big rah-rah speech. Eric Adams clearly is a, a powerhouse right now. I mean, the, the, the president is coming to meet with him in the city of New York. Uh, I don't, I may be wrong, I don't have a recollection of the president of the United States coming to meet with Bill de Blasio, as I said, I... I could be wrong. I mean, I believe President Obama was here, uh, but I don't know if he came for the specific reason to meet uh, the mayor. I know he came to see, I think, the Broadway show Hamilton uh, and happened to meet with the the mayor. But um, things are moving and shaking. In, in the second half of the show, we're going to talk a little bit about bail reform. Uh, the governor came out and kind of put her neck a little bit on the line about bail reform. And changing things up and tightening things up. Because what you have to understand is a lot of the recommendations that Eric Adams has has to be approved approved or changed in the state legislature. So he doesn't have the power to do a lot of the things he's suggesting. And obviously there's a much better relationship with him and Governor Hochul than there was with Mayor de Blasio and Governor Cuomo. But uh, let's see what the pushback is going to be like. But I want to pivot and talk about the United States Supreme Court. Because, you know, when you think of Washington, D.C. and you think of the president of the United States and you think of Congress, um, I remember when Justice Scalia was nominated and he described the pride that the Italian-American community had because no matter what you say about the politicization, uh, you guys know what I mean, all the politics around Supreme Court nominations and, and the Supreme Court itself of the three branches of government, the executive branch was the president, the legislative branch, which is Congress, and the Senate, um, the United States Supreme Court is the one that is the least political. And you usually get to where you're going on merit. And uh, that was clearly the case with uh, Justice Breyer. Justice Breyer, um, besides having an outstanding an outstanding educational background um, at Stanford and then at Harvard and Oxford. Uh, I mean, he served this country in so many ways, including being uh, eight years in the United States Army Reserve and six months on active duty. Um, he he reached the rank of corporal, was honorably discharged in the mid-'60s. Uh, he served in... Um, I mean, where he was known and where he made his bones was when he was put on the Court of Appeals for the First Circuit, which is basically the incompetence of Massachusetts, the far northeast. But let me tell you a little story about uh, Justice Breyer and my uh, interactions with him. In the summer of 1991, I studied abroad in Siena, Italy for the summer for a uh, through law school through Tulane University. And uh, it was about less than 30 students from all over the country. And we had a, a, a party at the villa that we were, we were all staying. And it was nothing uh, extravagant in terms of the villa itself. But um, I'm kind of, you know, Artie Artie loves to party. So I put together this little dinner for the students and the professors, just impromptu. And this was before Justice Scalia, who was going to be a guest speaker, showed up to, uh, to Siena, Italy. So we had this really outrageous party where I cooked on this little two burner stove in a tiny little kitchen in this little villette in the hills of Tuscany, which was gorgeous, and um, we had a blast. And the next morning we had class, and I get pulled out of class by the dean of the whole program who, from America from Tulane. He "Mr. Idol, I would like to speak to you." I said, "Yes, yeah, sure. What, what? You know, I'm in trouble. What do I do?" I said, I thought we had a great time last night. he goes, that's what I want to talk to you about. When Justice Scalia arrives, we were just going to have a a formal dinner at a restaurant where everyone is kind of stuck in their seat. What we did last night was kind of like a cocktail party and you had food everywhere. He goes, I would like to recreate that. I would like you to cook for Justice Scalia, his family, and his guests. I was like, I'm... 23 years old what you want me to cook i mean last night was one thing but you want me to cook for united states supreme court justice and and his guests he's like yeah we'll pay for the food etc cetera, etc cetera. well what happens is justice scalia shows up i wind up cooking justice scalia shows up with his um his wife maureen and his two aunts um eva and lenora and uh everyone greets them with uh, You know, they're all kind of dressed up in somewhere, and I'm the one who comes out and greets them wearing an apron covered in, in, in tomato sauce and garlic and basil. Uh, and Justice Scalia and I hit it off from the get-go because I brought him right into the kitchen, gave him a hunk of bread, told him to dip it in the sauce and try it, and poured him a glass of red wine. And that was a friendship that lasted from the summer of 1991 uh, up until I, I saw him. And spoke to him not long before he passed on. Well, guess who this guest was in the hills of Siena, besides his wife and two aunts? At the time, Judge Stephen Breyer, who was the chief of the First Circuit Court of Appeals. And guys, I got to tell you the truth. That night, after I cooked for him... And and all of them, and just, and I have right now, if you walk into my house and you go to my dresser that I go and get dressed every morning, it's where I leave my watch and my phone and all of that stuff, there is a photograph from the summer of 1991 with Justice Scalia in it and his wife in it, but it's an impromptu photo. Nobody is posing, and there leaning against the wall of the villa outside is Justice, now Justice, Stephen Breyer. And that night... After the Chianti was flowing, I will never forget Justice Scalia and Justice Breyer sitting across from each other at a picnic table overlooking the hills of Tuscany with the moon out and the stars. And it's just unbelievably gorgeous. And they are yelling and screaming at each other about constitutional issues because Justice Scalia believed firmly and really brought back a, uh, a philosophy that w- was really entrenched in the United States Supreme Court, which was whatever the Constitution says is what the law is. It's not what we, want it to, what we want it to be or we wish it could be or we're going to translate it into being. And Justice Breyer said, well, yeah, Justice Scalia, I agree with you to a degree, but we also have to look at the effect that it has on our population, the effect that the law has on our community and how our population or community has changed over the years and we have to change and kind of bend with that and interpret the law that way. And Scalia now, it's like a a tennis match is coming back and saying, no, Judge Breyer, It's the Congress's role to do that. The Congress is elected by the people. Congress is the one in the bars on the corner interacting with the population and knows what they want and what affects them. They're the ones who are supposed to do that. Not nine judges who sit in isolation on the United States Supreme Court. And Breyer rallied back and he said, no, Your Honor, they put us on the court because they want us to use our judgment and our common sense to interpret the law in a way that serves the population best. And I mean it was amazing. I was a I just finished my second year of law school and hearing these two titans go at it and and Justice Breyer came on the court shortly thereafter and is actually part of the in in real modern times, the longest serving uh, group of justices from 94, 1994. So I was with him in 1991. So he went on the United States Supreme Court in 1994. From 1994 to 2005, here was the lineup, the second longest lineup in the history of the court. Chief Justice Rehnquist, Justice Stevens, O'Connor, Scalia, Kennedy, Souter, Thomas, Ginsburg, and Justice Breyer. Justice Breyer was the longest serving rookie. Because when you're, when he's the last one, you you have the least seniority. It doesn't matter that much, but it does matter a little bit where you sit on the bench, where you sit in the conferences. Uh, the only longer serving court was in the 18, in the early eighteen hundreds, the Marshall Court. Um, we're going to take a quick break, and then we're going to come back with um, a Harvard Law School professor who knows Justice Breyer, and I'm fill us in on some details. So anyone who knows me well knows that the people in my law firm are like my family. And some of the partners who have really become like my brothers, um, one of them, his name is Imran, Imran Ansari. Now, those of you who listen to AM970 know that he fills in, uh, or he now is the co-host with Kevin McCullough on Thursday night's legal night. And um, Connors & Sullivan has a law firm that specializes in, In wills, trusts, estates, healthcare proxies, power of attorney, et cetera, et cetera. So why do I bring up Imran? Well, because last night, as Imran was leaving a social event with my other partner, Michael Jacarino, they're going to go get an Uber. And the Uber is across the street. And as we all are, now we all walk around with our head down. So Imran's head is down, looking at the phone. Looking for the Uber, looking down, looking up. It looks like traffic is clear. Mike Jaccarino says, "Okay, come on, cross the street." And this, and, and as Imran starts, because he didn't leave when Mike told him to leave, this car comes whizzing by at forty miles an hour, fifty miles an hour on a city street, and came so close to hitting Imran, and and would have maimed him if not killed him. That's the god honest truth. They were both so shaken up by what happened, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Why is that relevant? Well, guess what? Imran's got two kids. And guess what? Probably Imran doesn't have a will. He probably doesn't have a living will. He probably doesn't have a healthcare proxy. So what am I going to do? I'm going to say, hey, Imran, you know what you're going to do next week? You're going to call Mike Connors. You're going to dial 718-238-6500. 718-238-6500. And you're going to make sure your two kids are taken care of. You're going to make sure your wife is your power of attorney. So if something happens to you, she could sign for things. You're going to make sure she's your health care proxy. And she also uh, is knows that you have a living will. And if you're a vegetable on a machine, you don't not want to be kept there. So, don't hesitate. Don't make the mistake that Imran may have made. Dial 718-238-6500 because the only time you mess up is when you don't plan ahead.
2: Platinum Mitsubishi Freehold in Freehold Township, New Jersey, is proud to be an automotive leader in our area and sponsor of the Arthur Idala Power Hour. Driving ambition for 40 years in the United States, Mitsubishi Motors sees the automotive industry differently. Mitsubishi challenges convention with innovative approaches in the way Mitsubishi engineers and builds their vehicles. Visit Platinum Mitsubishi Freehold today. Platinum-Mitsubishi.com or call 732-863-2788. Could you whisper in
3: my ear The things you wanna feel? I'll give you anything to feel it coming. Do you wake up on your own?
0: I wonder where you are Live with all your fault. I wanna wake up where you are I won't say
3: anything at all So I don't Nice. Nice song, Matt. You're, you're, you're really kicking some butt behind the mic. And you know, a lot of people are asking me what the names of uh, all our tunes are. And uh, if you go on the podcast every night, Matthew takes his time. And he puts all the songs, all the titles. My brother-in-law, Lawrence, said, you know, you pay some of these songs, and I know them, but I forget them from the 80s. So now all you have to do is go check out the uh, podcast, and you'll, you'll hear all the songs. Let me tell you why Justice Breyer's departure is meaningful. Besides honoring his legacy, um, which is, you know, from 1994 till today. And he's staying on the court. It's not like he's leaving today. Um, here's just a couple of cases, just three, right, That are that are coming up. Some of them, I believe, I think maybe all of the the arguments have been heard. So he's going to stick around long enough to uh, rule on them because he doesn't want to, uh, you know, just let them slide. One is Dobbs v. Jackson Women's Health Organization. And that's the big abortion law that was just argued where uh, Texas says, you know, uh, abortion, you can't have one after 15 weeks. And the lower courts have said, hold on, Roe v. Wade and the Casey decision says it's 24 weeks. So they ruled that that, that uh, two courts now have ruled that that law is unconstitutional based on Roe and v- based on Casey. But now the court is going to hear that again. It's going to basically, when I say hear that again, visit those topics again. And we're going to get that decision usually around June 26, 27, twenty eighth. Another case, New York State Rifle and Pistol Association versus Bruin. Justice Scalia's biggest decision that in the latter part of his tenure was the Heller decision, which had to do with the Second Amendment, having to carry a gun. And this is a New York case. And you have to go to the police department and you have to prove to them that you have a special need for self-protection that is distinguishable from the general community or of persons engaged in the same profession. So more likely than not, I would not be entitled to get a gun because most lawyers don't need to walk around with a gun, but more likely than not, someone who's in the diamond business or the jewelry business who walks around with diamonds that are very valuable or a lot of cash will be able to get a, uh, a gun permit. And that is something that... Um, the someone who was denied a permit says, no, 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 you can't deny me the permit. The hell of the decision says I have a right to carry a gun. So that's another decision that's going to be before the Supreme Court, which is a uh, you know, it's a big one, especially how hot the gun issue is in New York right now. And I'll just touch on one other decision. Uh, it has to do with uh, Maine and whether Maine will not allow you to get state funds from the state's tuition assistance program, if you're applying to a secondary school, or want to attend a secondary school. A secondary school that, in addition to providing academic uh, education, it provides religious instruction. And they're saying, uh, you know, Maine's law is no. Well, if it's a school that provides some sort of a religious instruction, that violates the the rule between church and state, and we're not going to give you the money. So th- those are three cases that are pending in the Supreme Court, uh, that Justice Breyer will rule on before his departure. But on the line right now is a Harvard Law professor. And you ready, Drum roll! It is not Alan Dershowitz. It is someone who I know Alan Dershowitz has a tremendous amount of respect for. It's Professor Harvey Silverglate. Hello, Professor. How are you? It's Arthur Idala.
4: Well, I should only tell you, though, that I only taught at Harvard Law School for one year. Well, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. I think the the market came, right? It's with you forever.
3: And but you're a a noted uh, attorney, a civil rights attorney, a criminal defense attorney. And you're noted for fighting for the little guy. And Justice Breyer, when he was on the court, was known for quote unquote fighting for the little guy. So tell us, uh, Professor, what was your what what is going to be Justice Breyer's legacy?
4: Well, I think that his legacy is that he was uh, a moderate liberal, and now this is an era of no moderation. Um, This country is divided between what I like to call the fascist progressives and the fascist rightists. It, It is a period of enormous polarity, uh, animosity between the two sides. And Breyer was a conciliator. He was a moderate. He tried to get the sides together to produce majorities. He was of a different era. And while I think his retirement has everything to do with the fact that um, he wants to a uh, his successor appointed by Biden, he suspects that um, Biden or the the Democrats, in fact, will not hold the White House. That's the obvious reason for his retirement. Um, But I think that no matter what, no matter whether his replacement is um, appointed by a Republican or a Democrat, that replacement will not be a moderate like Justice Breyer. It will be either somebody of the far right or somebody of the far left.
3: Well, you know, Professor Silvergate, I I saw that they, I, some group I forget who it was, um, I knew who it was it just escaped me. They hired um, a vehicle, a van, that was driving around the Supreme Court saying, "Retire, Breyer, Briar Justice Breyer, you have to retire." Uh, you know that just rubbed me the wrong way, uh, in, in uh, on a lot of levels. And in fact, I believe uh, he was interviewed Justice Breyer about. seeing those signs and what effect it had on a United States Supreme Court justice. Could you just educate the listener a little bit? Does, Does a sitting president typically interact with, ladies and gentlemen, on the United States Supreme Court?
4: No. They're very careful not to have such interactions. In fact, justices of the Supreme Court don't interact with members of Congress either. And their their speaking engagements have to be very limited because they can't be partisan. Um, uh, they they live lives in, uh, for bet, lack of a better word, cocoons.
3: Right, and that was basically Justice Scalia's philosophy on why they should not be setting legal, uh, not legal precedent, but social precedent. Because he said he agreed with you, we we are so isolated. But you know, and it's funny how you're talking about him being a moderate liberal. Justice Scalia and and Justice Breyer for towards the end, uh, they sat right next to each other on the court and uh, physically on the bench, and they shared so many laughs. Like phys- like you would see them laughing on the court. And they, they uh, were on so many different panels where they would um, they would debate each other. But in a in a way that I'm not sure exists anymore, it's definitely not in the halls of Congress or, or uh, in the Senate chamber. Who would you think now the president of the United States said he's going when he was campaigning, he's going to nominate an African-American woman to the court. What are your thoughts about
4: that? Unfortunately, and, and by the way, Justice Scalia also had a very warm relationship with Ruth David Ginsburg, Do you recall. Absolutely. She she of the reasonably moderate left and he of the right. Uh, Scalia had a, a, a peculiar, um, unusual ability of, for uh, what we'd call comradeship. Um, However, I think that the, uh, it really rubbed me the wrong way. Remember, I'm a liberal. It really rubbed me the wrong way to have the president of the United States, ahead of, ahead of any appointment, say that he wants to have a black woman. First of all, it's really insulting, because whoever gets that nomination is going, it's, the, the, the impression that the world is going to have is that she got that appointment because of her race and her gender, and it's it, this is the whole problem with affirmative action.
3: Well, and Harvey, it, let me let me it, tell you something. We got twenty seconds before we got to go, but I just want to thank you. I I couldn't agree more with the last thing you said. I could not agree more, and I. I'm glad you had the courage to say it, because nowadays people are so afraid to say things. But I agree with you that it is insulting. I hope you'll come back on the show again, because you're a wealth of knowledge. I appreciate you coming on, and we'll be listening to, to, to talking to you soon, Harvey. Thank you so much.
4: Right out. Smile from veil Do you <laughs> think you can
0: tell
2: Platinum Mitsubishi Freehold in Freehold Township, New Jersey is proud to be an automotive leader in our area and sponsor of the Arthur Idalla Power Hour. Mitsubishi dreamers, designers, and engineers are redefining choices in mobility for a whole new generation of independent, modern, and savvy consumers. Visit Platinum Mitsubishi Freehold today. Platinum-Mitsubishi.com or call 732-863-2788. That's 732-863-2788.
5: I'm Lou Dobbs. The Fed signals interest rate hike ahead in March. A big change coming at the U.S. Supreme Court and Wall Street ends the day mixed. Those stories next. Here's some great news. If you missed the deadline to sign up
0: for health insurance or if, like a lot of people, you just have a plan you're not happy with, you still have a choice. It's called MediShare. It's a Christian health care sharing program. There are more than 400,000 members now, and they love it. In fact, MediShare has double the customer satisfaction rate compared to that of health insurance. And MediShare really is the gold standard when it comes to healthcare sharing. It's been around more than 25 years. Members have shared more than $4 billion of each other's medical bills. Plus, MediShare is for you. It has saved its members billions by advocating on their behalf. Best of all, the typical savings for a family is around $6,000 a year. So if you think you're stuck with a high-cost health plan that doesn't have much to offer, think again. MediShare has a 98% customer satisfaction rating, and you are invited to be part of it. Call now, 877-64-BIBLE. That's 877-64-BIBLE.
5: 877-64-BIBLE. In Washington, the Federal Reserve has signaled it will hike interest rates in mid-March. Meanwhile, however, the Fed holding short-term interest rates steady in an attempt to temper the Biden inflation rate. Chairman Jerome Powell calls a rate hike in March an appropriate step. Earlier today, news broke that Supreme Court Associate Justice Stephen Breyer will retire at the end of the current term, giving President Joe Biden his first vacancy to fill on the high court. Biden is on record as saying, and the White House today confirmed, that he will nominate a black female as his choice to replace Breyer. Once again, placing politics and diversity ahead of accomplishment and exceptionalism. On Wall Street, stocks closing mixed today. The Dow Jones Industrials down 129 points. Please join me three times each weekday for my updates right here on this station. This is the Lou Dobbs Financial Report.
0: News. Opinion. Passion. This is AM 970.
1: The Answer. We have clear skies. We sit at 25 degrees. What's going on? We have the answer. Well, Governor Hochul and Mayor Eric Adams appear to be at odds on bail reform. Hochul was asked if judges should have more say on setting bail for repeat offenders and those with guns.
6: And I'm looking for the data that shows me that bail reform is the reason that somehow crime is going
1: up. Adams and others think judges need to have more say in setting bail for certain offenses. Governor Hochul says she stands behind the fundamental premise on why bail form is needed. Firefighters are on the scene of a four-alarm fire in Passaic, New Jersey. It tore through an apartment building on Main Street and Harrison Street around 3.30 this afternoon. Authorities are trying to prevent it from spreading to two similar structures on both sides. At least one man was hurt. It's unclear at this moment what started the blaze. And forecasters are watching a winter nor'easter that could be heading our way. Lisa G has more.
6: It's bringing with it strong winds and heavy snow that's expected Friday night into Saturday. Forecasters say the big question is the track of the storm. If it maintains its current path, eastern Long Island will get hit hardest. However, if it moves closer to the coast, the heaviest snow is expected for the five boroughs with the possibility of 8 to 12 inches. Lisa G., NBC News Radio, New York.
1: Thank you, Lisa. Taking a look at the traffic 15 to 20 minutes outbound at the Holland Tunnel. Citybound, we're doing okay. 15 out at the Lincoln. Again, not bad on the citybound side. If you're trying to get to the outbound GW Bridge this evening, northbound West Side Highway, That's going to be a slow ride as you travel north of 79th Street up to the GWB. FDR northbound slows from the 30s to the 50s, then slow on the Harlem River Drive from the 150s to the GW Bridge. Southbound slows 90s to the 70s. Clear, cold tonight, low 16. Sunshine tomorrow, high 32. Cloudy with snow likely on Friday, especially in the evening, high 36. And like Lisa said, depending on the track, we'll see who gets what. And now you know what's going on. I am Mike Barker, AM 970, The Answer. We're back to the Arthur Idala Power Hour
2: with New York City's preeminent trial attorney and quintessential New Yorker, attorney Arthur Idala. So my sister Lori and brother-in-law
3: Carl, I was with them this weekend, and uh, my sister very affectionately calls me jerk. And she says, jerk, we've been listening to the show every day, and guess what? Our minivan is shot, and it's time to upgrade. We need you to call uh, the Esposito folks at Platinum Mitsubishi." We want to look around and see if we're going to get a new minivan or if we want to buy one of, or lease or buy one of the new Mitsubishi trucks. So I said, look, I, you should know it by now. If you listen to every show, it's platinum com or call 732-863-2788. And I don't think my sister needs to introduce herself. She just has to say, hi, it's, it's Lori, Arthur's sister, and everything will be fine. I was so pleased with the last guest. Um, talking about what, how it uh, kind of reduces your qualifications when you're so out front saying, I want to nominate this person. Justice Scalia was the last nominee, I believe, uh, and I, I'll, I'll check that out, to be nominated unanimously, 98 to nothing. Now, why is that? Because Ronald Reagan, President Ronald Reagan, was smart enough to say, you know what? All of these years, we've never had an Italian-American on the court. He definitely wanted to nominate an Italian-American, but he didn't go out and say it. He didn't say, well, I'm a, I I limited it down to uh, the Italian-American population as to who's going to be on the court. By the way, it was a very small population of Italian-American j- judges back in 1986 uh, compared to today. So I, I, I agree With uh, Mr. Silvergate that says, you know, it's insulting. Now, just so you know, folks, there are other uh, accounts out there saying that, oh, he's going to nominate Kamala Harris, the vice president, to be on the court. That's not happening for a lot of reasons. But I'll tell you one, I don't think she she would be confirmed by her own party because she does not have the qualifications. She just doesn't. She never clerked for United States Supreme Court justice the way almost all of them have. She's never been on a, a, an appeals court, which I believe everyone on the court now except Justice Kagan uh, had done. I mean, this is serious work. This isn't something you wing. No disrespect to Congress or the Senate, and to be quite frankly, even to the the President of the United States. That's it's a very different skill set. Reading the case law, hearing the arguments, identifying the issues, breaking it down, and coming up with a cogent decision that you don't get laughed out of of the courthouse. Don't forget, uh, George W. Bush nominated Harriet Myers, his counsel, to be on the court. She didn't have any of that type of experience, and guess what? She had to withdraw her nomination because once she started meeting with the senators and being asked very fundamental questions, she just wasn't up for the task. It's not her fault. Be like nominating me to go play football you know, in the NFL. Yeah, it's great that I know the uh, John Tisch or, or have me be the coach of the Giants. I don't have the qualifications to be the coach of the Giants. So uh, the vice president does not have the qualifications to be on the United States Supreme Court, not by today's standards with Chief Justice Roberts and Clarence Thomas and, and, and Justice Alito, who served on the Third Circuit for years and years, and Justice Sotomayor. They were all... Uh, um, Judges before that. And and Justice um, Kagan, who was the dean of the law school of Harvard, she was also the solicitor general, which is the lawyer who argues, who argues in front of the um, in front of the court on a regular basis. She knows she knows constitutional law inside and out. So we shall see who is nominated. I mean, someone brought up the name today, Letitia James, the New York State Attorney General. You know, she falls in the same category as the vice president of the United States. You need to have serious federal constitutional experience to sit on that court. And uh, Attorney General James just doesn't have that type of experience. Speaking of Attorney General James and New York state politics and the bail reform laws. Today, uh, we're going to listen for one minute to hear what the governor had to say about bail reform
4: address what so many people have called on you to do will you address the level of dangerousness and give judges more discretion even eric adams has called on lawmakers to do this
6: he has asked for us to have this conversation and he's a former senator and he certainly knows the process that's involved in making changes changes were made and i will absolutely stand behind the fundamental promise on why we needed bail reform in the first place And I will describe the situation that others who are trying to politicize this and the other party don't seem to acknowledge why there was a need for change. You had two individuals accused of identical crimes, offenses, even stealing a backpack. And one person goes to Rikers for three years because they couldn't post bail. Another person whose parents have money or they're living in the suburbs, and they can head back after posting bail to their jobs, to school, and a different life. That is what bail reform set out to do. And so I stand behind that fundamental premise.
3: Okay, so let's just say what she said is 100% accurate. And someone stole a backpack and bail was set and that person wasn't able to make bail. I I find it hard to believe that that person sat in jail for three years for stealing a backpack. Because you know why, folks? Stealing a backpack, unless it's worth a lot, a lot, a lot of money, like this cash inside, is a misdemeanor. The most you could do in jail for a misdemeanor is one year, which really equates to eight months. And there is no way I'm going to believe that a public defender uh, did not have the ability to stand in front of a judge and say, Okay, judge, uh, he, he or she didn't make bail. But it's eight months now. And now the case needs to be dismissed because he or she cannot or, or I'll accept a guilty plea because they can't serve more than a, a year in jail, which is eight months. So that does not make sense to me. And I just want to, you know, let you guys know there is nowhere else on the radio dial that you could hear someone talking about these issues. Who lives them? I did a, a, a bail hearing. I did two last week in state court. So I know a little bit about what I'm of what I speak. Um, The bottom line is those bail reform laws. I'm not saying there was not necessity for some bail reform, but boy, was it not thought through? Was it not worked through? I don't know of any criminal defense uh, entity that was consulted. I don't know how many of the district attorney's office in all 61 counties or 62 counties of the state of New York were consulted, but You can't have people who aren't in 100 Center Street, which is where you get arraigned in Manhattan cases, or 125-01 Queens Boulevard, where the Queens Courthouse is, or 120 Skimmer, you get the, the idea. People are making decisions who aren't involved in what goes on in the courtroom inside and out. Should judges be given more discretion? To some degree. But you know what? There are some judges who aren't that good. There are some who are too far, are too lenient one way and and letting too many people out. There are some judges who are just too strict the other way. How do you, how do you monitor the judges? You know, if you you can't just have a knee jerk reaction and change bail reform back to the way it was because there were some problems, but you, it definitely needs to be addressed. It definitely needs to uh, be thought out a lot more than it was. Uh, Eric Adams wants dangerousness to be taken into account. As I said the other night, if you go in federal court, so what's the difference? The difference really is who arrests you, the FBI or the NYPD? If the NYPD arrests you, you're going to state court. If the FBI arrests you, you're going to federal court. In state court, as of today, but it's always been this way, A judge is not allowed to take your dangerousness. If they let you go, are you going to hurt someone else into account? That's not supposed to play a role. It's just, are you going to come back to court? Now, let's be honest, folks. You think a judge doesn't take that into account? Of course he or she does. Of course she does. She's not going to say it. She can't put those reasons on the record. But there are plenty of people who could make bail of a million dollars and the judge says, no, I'm not going to set bail at a million dollars. I'm sending it at remand. Well, judge, if you said bail at a million dollars, my client's definitely coming back. OK, yeah, I don't I'm not satisfied with that. And the judge will just set mail bail at remand, which means no matter how much money you put up, you can't get out. In federal court, a judge is allowed to say, well, you're charged with stabbing a person. And I'm not letting you out on any amount of bail because I'm afraid if I let you out, you've proven to be a violent person or you're accused of being a violent person and you could be violent with someone else, so I'm keeping you incarcerated. We have to have faith that the judiciary, if that law is changed, will not take advantage of that. And there needs to be some judicial oversight. There are some judges who Mayor de Blasio appointed who... You know, he wanted uh, he wanted bail reform there before there was bail reform. He didn't want judges to set bail. He put that out there, and there were judges he put on. And I told this to his face. I said, "Bill, you know, you're putting these judges on based on their own uh, um, nationality and you know their upbringing. Did they you know pull themselves up by their bootstraps? They're the ones who are putting bail on everybody. They're the ones who are putting everyone in jail. Does anyone follow up and look at let do a study on?" Who's putting the most people in jail? Now I know now they do. I they just started statistically speaking and now they've they've broken it down by race. Okay, this judge put four black people in jail and two white people in jail. What they don't say is, well, there were 40 black people who appeared in front of him and only 14 white people that appeared before him. It needs to be fixed. Eric Adams is pushing for it. He's pushing for other factors in his fifth in his fifteen page plan that he's gonna need help from in the halls of the Senate in Albany. I think he's going to have the juice. He's going to have the clout. Biden is obviously giving him juice and clout by coming in here and to New York City to meet with him. So let's hope Hokel and the Senate and the Assembly could work together to make New York City a safer place.
2: Platinum Mitsubishi Freehold in Freehold Township, New Jersey, is proud to be an automotive leader in our area and sponsor of the Arthur Idalla Power Hour. Driving ambition for 40 years in the United States, Mitsubishi Motors sees the automotive industry differently. Mitsubishi challenges convention with innovative approaches in the way Mitsubishi engineers and builds their vehicles. Visit Platinum Mitsubishi Freehold today. Platinum-Mitsubishi.com or call 732-863-2788 we I'm Connell McShane. This is the Fox Business Report.
6: Stocks ended mixed after the Federal Reserve signaled rate hikes are on the way and other monetary policies eventually will tighten. The Dow falling 130 points, the Nasdaq up three, S&P 500 down seven. And Tesla stock is falling in the extended session after the electric vehicle maker reported quarterly profit in sales well above Wall Street estimates, but said its factories have been running below capacity for several months due to supply chain snags, limiting its production. And in Intel shares are down in late-day trading. The semiconductor company reported better than expected fourth-quarter earnings, but provided a mixed outlook for the first quarter. In addition, Intel announced a 5% dividend increase. Levi Strauss, known for jeans and other denim wares, reported higher profit in the fourth quarter as investments in advertising and promotional activity, as well as its digital efforts, help boost sales. That's your Fox Business Report. I'm Hilary Varsky. invested in you.
0: After 9-11, Saul Martinez couldn't wait to enlist. In Iraq, his vehicle was hit by a projectile-improvised explosive device. Saul survived, but he lost both legs, suffered a traumatic brain injury, and lost two close friends. Saul now lives in a smart home from the Tunnel to Towers Foundation, which gave him back his independence despite his severe physical challenges. Help heroes like Saul. Donate $11 a month to Tunnel to Towers at T2T.org.
2: I need postcards printed and designed, oh, in a targeted direct mail campaign. It's possible at Staples. I need my presentation printed, bound, and perfect. Also possible. Your local Staples store can help your business navigate the future of work with custom-printed sales and marketing materials. Now get 25% off custom-printed labels, postcards, flyers, brochures, and more when you spend $60 or more. Explore what's new at Staples, the working and learning store. Ends one twenty nine in in-store only. See staples.com slash print for details.
1: She's a good girl Loves her mama Loves Jesus In America too She's a good girl Crazy about Elvis Loves horses Free falling.
3: You know what's free falling a little bit? Maybe the economy? I'm no economist, but it looks like uh, the way the Fed is going to tackle inflation is to uh, raise interest rates in March. Um, So, you know, if you're going to refi your house or go buy a house, now would be the time. Uh, getting back to my podium, on which I sit regarding gambling. Although, as I said, I don't have anything against it, except I, I'm keeping my eye on the kids. You ready for this now? Draft Kings. Everyone who's any—I could only speak for New Yorkers. Anywhere you look, there is a Draft Kings commercial. Anywhere the back on the back of the in the taxi cab, on the side of the bus, in the and the subways. On your, when you go on Facebook, when you go on the New York Post app, when you turn on the TV, everywhere you go, everywhere you go, it's, it's, it's omnipresent. The share price for DraftKings jumped nearly 17% in trading this morning in response to a positive report from Morgan Stanley. You ready for this? Morgan Stanley has said, the early numbers, so we're three weeks into gambling, could reach two billion dollars revenue on sports gambling, well above the six hundred million that they forecasted in twenty twenty two. And they said by twenty twenty five their forecast was one billion. They're already saying they're gonna they're gonna blow through that and it's gonna be two billion this year, where they was predicting it was gonna be one billion three years from now. I mean, folks, th- Think about those numbers. I mean, honestly, it's great for those of us who um, are going to get, I guess, you know, some of the benefits regarding the tax revenue that is, that's going to come in, um, because you know, New York State stands to make a, a a ton of money, and as long as that and that money is supposed to be earmarked to go to especially education, but. Um, there I told you one little percent of it it goes to Gamblers Anonymous, that type of a um association. But, you know, we um we gotta keep a close eye on this. That's that's all I'm saying. I told you again over the weekend this twelve year old kid comes over to me and telling me it, it means nothing to him which team loses wins or loses because they didn't cover the spread. That really freaked me out. Um speaking of not covering the spread, what's going on with the Brooklyn Nets? I mean, they were so favored. They started off so powerful. They they were winning, winning, winning. Then they got caught a bunch of injuries. And then uh, their main, one of their three, so there's three main players, right? Kevin Durant, James Harden, and Kyrie Irving, right? Kyrie Irving. He's not vaccinated, so he only plays the away games. Now, we could have a whole debate on... You know, when you join a team and there's certain rules and regulations, you know, should you be following all the rules and regulations, which is you have to get the shot. In the New York Yankees, you can't have a beard. You want to get paid $400,000 a game to play basketball? Well, then you need to take this vaccine. This guy, I mean, you have to say one thing. He's principled. Every home game, which is 40, some of the 41, 42, 41, I think, He's losing $400,000. That's... Uh, what's four times four? 64. No. 16. Thank you. So he's losing... Uh, it was 16 million bucks. He's leaving 16 million dollars on he's the table. a team. drop in the bucket for him? I don't know if that's really a drop in the bucket for anybody. I mean... Yeah, I mean, even for a billionaire, man. I mean, sixteen million dollars is sixteen. It's still sixteen million. Well, maybe
0: the owner is gonna, you know, chip in and uh, help him out, pay the fine. What? for not, no. I wish I mean, he look, was. I have, wish he was gonna. I, you have to admit, the guy standing by his convictions. I'm sure he's said, winning a lot of people over who, who are not even fans of the Nets. Right, they're gonna buy his jersey because right.
3: he's standing up for what he believes in, man. That's. could you believe I said four times four is sixty-four? <laughs> That's 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 pretty embarrassing. I mean, I, I have been up, let's see, it's 6.52. I've been up 14 hours, not 14 hours, 13 hours. I don't want to exaggerate. But I will tell you, you know, when the Nets came to Brooklyn, I've, I've been a long-term, a lifelong Knicks fan. But, you know, as a Brooklyn boy, I had to support the Nets. So we have half a season uh, that we share the seats for. And I'm bummed out. I'm bummed out that they're not I know, So Irvin's not playing because he's not getting the shot. Durant is injured. Harden's trying to carry the load by himself, but he can't, and it seems like now there's grumblings that Harden's not happy, and come on, Brooklyn.
0: You know, even with the injuries, I'm not even sure if this is really a championship team, though.
3: Okay. I'm not disagreeing with you, but get me into the second round of the playoffs, although it's so expensive. They they and the Yankees, because we have a, a small package with the Yankees, as soon as they come close to getting into the playoffs, Matt, you get this crazy bill like they're going to play into Game 7 of the World Series. So it's like it's for like 20 more games, and of course the prices are a lot higher, and you got to pay it right then and there, and of course they'll say, well, you know, if you if we they don't go that far, we'll credit it towards next year's tickets, or if you're not going to get next, next year's tickets, God forbid, you know, they make it harder not to renew, right. then they'll give you some sort of a refund. But, um, I don't know. I would love to see the Nets do so.
0: As a Jets, Knicks, Mets fan, you know, That's not, I mix. know what it's like to have hope, and then it just yeah. snatched away from you. I told you the
3: Net, the Knicks are the second most valuable team. They said after the after the uh, the Dallas Cowboys. Yeah, un unreal. I, yeah, I that that I really don't I don't really don't get. Um, I do want to just let you guys know that I'm I'm not dreaming. There is a uh, regarding Justice Breyer. There is an organization called Demand Justice, um, and they did have a, a van that drove around Washington D.C. specifically around the Supreme Court, allegedly, uh, presumably, so that Justice Breyer would see this. And the billboard said, "Ready for this? Breyer retire. It's time for a black woman Supreme Court. It's time for a black woman Supreme Court justice. There's no time to waste." I mean, that's disrespectful to him, and that's disrespectful. Uh, to Justice Breyer, and it's disrespectful for whomever is the, the nominee is going to be. Um, so, and I can tell you, I mean, I know for a fact that Justice Breyer did not like that. A little inside baseball, when Ruth Bader Ginsburg was on the bench and um, Obama, President Obama, was coming towards the end of uh, his tenure, he did have a meeting with her. Uh, I believe she came to the White House. But there was in no way, shape, or form did he talk about how, when she was going to leave the, the bench. That never even came up. Obviously, he's a very intelligent man, knows how to play the game of politics. He was giving her the opening, giving her the opportunity to say, well, you know, Mr. President, I, nobody knows who's going to win the next election, and uh, maybe it's time for me to step down. And especially, you know, she was, she was sick. She had pancreatic cancer. I mean, she was an amazing woman in a lot of respects. Most people, when they get pancreatic cancer, don't keep going and going and going like the Energizer Bunny. And she did, not only on the court, but she was working out, literally going to the gym. She was giving speeches all over the place. Um, But in retrospect, did she do the right thing? You know, you want to talk about the balance of the court now? Many just uh, presidents have had two, have had two appointments. Uh, the ones who had the most, obviously George Washington, because he composed the court. Um, FDR had had uh, many because of his tenure. There's one other justice, one other president who had uh, maybe four appointments, but um, three is in the modern era of, of presidencies. Three is not typical, and that's what. Uh, that's what President Trump got. And why did he get it? Because Ruth Bader Ginsburg, you know, didn't step down knowing that she was ill when um, when President Obama was still there. Now, it turns out at the end, President when Justice Scalia died, President Obama couldn't get Merrick Garland confirmed because the Senate said, well, you know, you're a lame duck president. and Let's see whoever the next president is and they should be the one to nominate him. Yes, it has become very, very political. The reason why. Uh, When Justice Scalia died, there was a lot of controversy was because if President Obama appointed Merrick Garland, that changes the balance of at least judicial philosophy on the court. Whereas when President Trump came in and he put in Neil Gorsuch, Neil Gorsuch had a very similar philosophy that uh, Justice Scalia did. But then Kennedy leaves, he retires. And when Trump gets in, he's a Republican. He was a centrist. You never really know which white way he was going to go, and you have Kavanaugh who replaces him, who's to some degree a centrist, but he kind of goes more with the conservative bent of the court. And then, of course, when Ruth Bader Ginsburg died, suddenly at the end of Trump's term, he was able to get in Amy Comey Barrett, uh, who actually clerked for Justice Scalia. And she's definitely on the leaning leaning towards the right. I hate to say right and left because they're they're all so intelligent. And Justice Scalia had plenty of decisions that favored what people will say in the left, meaning burning the flag. You could do that. Uh, a lot of criminal decisions, et cetera, et cetera. We shall see who replaces Justice Breyer, but he was a great justice who will go down in history as a great justice. Happy Wednesday night. Enjoy dinner. We'll see you tomorrow.